Hi guys, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast in partnership with Koan, the dedicated OKR platform. Today we're going to discuss the downsides to using OKRs as a hierarchy. And with me today, I have Chris Butler. Chris is an experienced product manager and head of product operations at Cognizant. Chris, before we dive into today's subject, please can you give our listeners a brief introduction to yourself? Thank you for having me here. I'm Chris Butler, and I've been a product manager for over 20 years. The places you would have heard of that I've been at are places like Microsoft, Waze, Kayak, Facebook Reality Labs, and now I'm head of product operations at Cognizant. And what that means is that I'm really product managing the product manager experience here at Cognizant. And that's for a community of about 100 product managers. And I guess throughout my entire career, I've always worked in the realm of trying to figure out new rules, new processes, new techniques for people, uh, and that could be consumers. So moving from desktop to mobile, uh, starting to adopt things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, even the idea of communal computing in the home with uh, the portal device uh, that I worked on at Facebook Reality Labs. But uh, when it comes to the the way that I've started to think about the uh, product, product managing the product manager experience is really how do we get product managers to be more efficient or uh, better or find uh, find more meaning in the work that they do for our clients. Um, and product management is a fairly nascent uh, fairly nascent community at uh, Cognizant. You know, we're we're well known uh, with the three hundred thousand employees that we have for uh, really doing a lot of delivery and execution when it comes to B two B B two C types of systems. Thanks, Chris. So definitely a lot of a lot of experience there, and and some names that I'm sure we've we've all heard of. Um, especially you mentioned the the Facebook Labs there. So to kick us off, we are going to discuss the downside of using OKRs as a hierarchy. So I think we'll start by saying, what do you mean by using OKRs as a hierarchy? What what does this mean, and what's involved? Yeah, usually when uh, I'm brought in to help do either agile leadership or product management leadership coaching, OKRs are one of those methodologies that people will usually ask for, for goal setting. And uh, the way that it first gets looked at or or first gets kind of pulled into the organization is really that we have this hierarchy already where it's uh, parts of the leadership team that could be based on function or uh, kind of product areas, product domains. And we now want to have some type of main OKR at the top of the hierarchy. And then we need to figure out for all the people that are below that, how deep do we go into the hierarchy to build out OKRs for each each group or team, um, and sometimes even down to the individual. You know, of course, I I don't I don't like the idea of individuals having OKRs. We can talk about that later mm-hmm. if you want. But I I think this this concept is really from the standpoint that when people first start doing transformation to be a more agile organization, and when I say agile in this case, I don't mean the capital A agile. I mean a lowercase a agile where we're trying to make it so the teams are more resilient. They have a bit more power and ownership and accountability over what they're actually going to build themselves. And that means that we need to build a better interface between how leadership does goal setting and how these individual teams actually figure out what to do on their own. And, and then OKRs can be that way that they end up getting feedback from the strategy as they're going quarter over quarter to really understand, are they succeeding in the ways that they should be? Um, and so the, the default mode is really just to say, take our entire hierarchy and then say that at each level, each team, each kind of node in that hierarchy is going to get a set of OKRs. And the problems that start to come out of that, at least what I've found when trying to implement this um, at a bunch of different places, is that 
you you kind of have this this fact that when you try to cascade Okara's down, um, you end up actually cascading rather than the objectives or having each level having its own set of objectives. You end up kind of doing this thing where you have objectives from the top that then lead to KRs, where the KRs are then turned into kind of how do I feed at the next level into these KRs specifically? And the objectives then kind of become these weird Frankenstein, like objective KRs. <laughs> and then the next level down ends up being just really initiatives. And, and this kind of gets repeated for however deep the hierarchy ends up being. And so you don't actually have real OKRs anywhere else inside that hierarchy. Um, you really maybe have them at the top. Um, but because you're really still kind of going after this idea that there's a command and control structure that is then cascading things down, I found that they do not do very well, right? And they don't actually meet a lot of the criteria when we talk about having really great OKRs. Um, and so that's that's that tends to be the problem that I've found when trying to just like cascade these things inside of a hierarchy. Yeah, so you, you mentioned a couple of key points there about um, individuals like having you know, having ownership and, and accountability. So obviously those are two key, two key bits that I pulled out from that. But why else? Like, why do you think this is the wrong way to go about OKRs, and and, and how would you suggest um, people to set them not using a hierarchy? What what other sort of way would you go about that? Yeah, absolutely. I I've from for a very long time I've thought about how teams that really are agile end up distributing power throughout the entire organization, and so they they end up being pods or groups that are interacting with each other more in a network than they are as a hierarchy. And that means that, you know, there still is, say, a management kind of pod or group that is helping with setting overall strategy, doing a lot of coordination around the idea of like hiring and uh, incentives, things like that. But they actually then end up building these dependencies with other teams that are doing execution work. And so that could be, you know, in the in the in the in the way that we think about agile, you really want to trust the people that are closest to the edge, um, where they're closest to the customer, closest to the problem, to make the the really specific decisions about what to do there. And so I guess the the way that that we start talking about the agile concept of an organization is that it's more about groups all network together. And yeah. so that's really why in this last post I did, uh, we were talking about that, that OKRs really should be this network of OKRs where each group has an OKR set themselves. They then can build dependencies between each individual um, each individual node in that network, um, but that they don't actually worry about this this idea that every OKR set that's above me, I now have to be concerned with, right? Um, this gets you into the mode that another problem with having hierarchies is that a lot of people start to look at, okay, well, it's not just the OKRs at kind of my level or my team's level, but I need to now look three or four levels in the hierarchy up. And it's not just three, but it's like three times four OKR sets that I need to do. And so that's like 12 OKRs. And we start to get into this realm that people just can't keep that much in their head. They can't prioritize effectively when they have that many different things. And so when you start to make it not necessarily flat, but, but the idea of it being a network where there's nodes that are connected through dependencies, mm -hmm. it becomes much easier for me to focus in on what the priorities that are, are for me, how that actually gives me feedback on whether I'm executing towards a strategy. But I think you start to get into really interesting aspects that not every team is always going to contribute to the to the kind of the main OKR for the overall organization that the leadership team may have. Um, and that's okay because every team is doing some type of high priority function for themselves or for the work that they need to do. And so I, I think that's why we we start to see a much much more kind of beneficial approach to using a network rather than rather than a hierarchy. And, and there's a bunch of other reasons why we can go into. 
Yeah, and I think just from what you've said, though, I think um, this uh, using OKRs as a network, it always it also allows for um, collaboration between the, between departments. And this is something that we we've spoken about recently on Joint Talk is um, using um, networks cross functioning as well, um, and then using them as a hierarchy. I don't think you 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 know doesn't really allow for that. It, it, you get sort of into the trap of a one size fits all approach and. It's not obviously the right way to, to go about it. And just talking about um, network structures, um, do you think can network structures be complicated to manage? Um, and how how would you go about managing um, managing yeah. that? No, and they definitely can be more complicated. I even say complex using mm-hmm. kind of Kinevin terminology here is that this is these are groups of people that are all trying to work together and. The aspect of actually building alignment can be a really costly thing to do. And it's necessary in some cases, right? Like the reason why, you know, I think I think uh, OKRs are kind of a Trojan horse for good strategy. And the reason why is that if you try to write OKRs without a cohesive strategy or a good one, they end up being really bad OKRs. I just it kind of naturally. And so um, if you're if you're an organization, um, that is that is actually trying to do something different in the world or trying to do something novel or trying to build a new business or any of these things, the OKRs end up being um, things that are uh, not necessarily copyable from other organizations because it's going to be in the context of the people, the culture that you end up having inside that organization. Yeah. And so um, from, from my perspective, if you, um, if you want to build out a good network, you actually want different people thinking about different things. The ideal, like, the ideal way to think about this, though, is that you do want everybody kind of going in the same direction, but it doesn't mean necessarily in exactly the same direction. Because uh, what what can really go wrong here, especially if you start to, you know, if you if you end up having OKRs where there's three OKRs that everybody has to adhere to um, at the very top of a hierarchy, you end up doing something uh, that dominant logic theory would refer to as kind of, you know filtering out all the variants of the organization that really builds out innovative solutions or solutions that are uh, differential in some way. And, and so this idea you know, of a hierarchy really being as complex as the person at the top of the hierarchy, and that's bad, right, in today's mm-hmm. world. And so um, I, w- I would just say you know, that, that we do actually want to, to harness or enable the complexity of the organization. And so it does take you know, there, there are reasons why it's harder to sometimes manage those types of organizations. But when you do that, it means that each individual team has way more autonomy and agency over the things that they're actually building. And it's way more likely that when you do that, that kind of upfront step to one set, the central kind of goal setting around a central set of OKRs, people can do a better job of actually understanding how do they contribute in some way to the overall benefit of the organization. And in some cases, this is actually not, not very much from the standpoint of like, an operations team, right, will be very different than a product team, very different than a marketing team. And that's absolutely acceptable because the operation team is going to be more focused on how do we increase efficiency or reduce waste, whereas a product team is looking at how do we actually build a really great outcome for an end customer. Mm -hmm. And both of those teams are doing something that's incredibly appropriate and helpful for the organization as a whole. Mm -hmm. And there may be dependencies that are built across them where the product product team needs some type of help from an operations team to be able to execute on a feature or on Mm -hmm. a functionality or on like going towards a goal that they're trying to hit. Um, but we should never say that this operations team is just, you know, doing bad things because they're they're not uh, building out the same thing as that product org, which is probably more in alignment with this centralized OKR. 
So um, there's a real value to allowing for the organization to be more like an organism where there's a separation of concerns, there's modularity, there's different things that people are doing at different times uh, to be able to still achieve this overall effect. And so it is more complex. It is more complicated in some ways, but I think you end up getting much better results from an organization when you allow every piece of that organization to really do the best it can. Yeah, so definitely sounds complex on on the face of it, but um, the organization will reap the benefits um, in the end. And I really like what you've said about OKRs being the the Trojan horse for for a good strategy. So might steal that one there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and, and just to expand on that a bit more, I think, you know, if you really are making hard choices from a strategic standpoint, right, that that is what will help you, the rest of your organization. If you're a leadership team, for example, the, the times that I've seen OKRs fail most often is when leadership teams do not make hard choices. And that then shows up in the OKRs that they have, that shows up in the strategy, right? If they don't necessarily use OKRs as a methodology, even the strategy that they have is one that is not making these hard choices, which you know, takes a lot of upfront work to kind of say, what are we all agreeing are the right kind of hard choices to make? And then uh, being able to move forward, it actually makes things way simpler for everybody else inside the organization because they can go back and say, well, when I have to now trade off between these two initiatives that I'm thinking about doing or these two experiments or these two bugs even, right? How does this fit into my own set of OKRs that I'm trying to adhere to or, or trying to prioritize based on that? And what's interesting about now starting to use networks is that um, you still have, say, two teams that are different teams that have different potential kind of priorities when it comes to the OKRs, but they network into a more centralized node that when there's, say, an escalation, right? And this is one of the questions I, I get a lot about hierarchies or not hierarchies is, well, how do we do things like escalations, right? What happens when two teams actually have uh, diverging or opposing OKRs? And one, I would say that's okay because every team is trying to achieve a different effect in some way. Yeah. But when you then have to make a decision about how do we make a trade-off and say resourcing or uh, prioritization, that's where a more centralized node as part of their OKRs, they then help make that decision between those two different things. And so um, I think you don't want to use escalation. You don't want to use alignment and cohesion as as something all the time. You want You want teams to be running as fast as they can, and then aligning when they need to. Um, And I've heard this referred to as kind of like late binding and a couple other things. But um, I think there's something really valuable about that because because alignment is a really costly costly thing to do within an organization. And if you have one set of OKRs, right, that everybody has to adhere to, another kind of anti-pattern I've seen in OKRs is that you end up trying to be comprehensive of everything that that team does rather than kind of prioritizing the most important things that that entire team does. And so you, you'll end up with rather than like one to three OKRs for what is this team really prioritizing? You're trying to now say what would have gone into a team charter that is like, here's everything that we deal with. Here's the business as usual. You end up putting that into a set of OKRs and you get like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 OKRs, which, which again are very likely to fail, especially for teams that are starting off. I would, I would argue that any team that has 10 OKRs is probably failing at OKRs anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that's, you know, I think that's a real problem that you come up against. Yeah, I think um, a line that I read, it might have been on one of your most recent blogs or um, whilst I was doing some of their research into using OKRs as a network, is that networks of OKRs shine a light on the important goals. And I think that's that's a really, a really um, key point um, around networks. 
really, really quickly. I mean, that, that whole idea of the spotlight, not the floodlight is something that I've stolen from someone else. Definitely where, you know, the, the idea of a floodlight and trying to think that you have to put everything that your team does or understands into OKRs is a mistake because the OKRs are just about what are high priority, but you should have these other documents that are alongside this, which is your team charter. What are all the different things that our team does? How should you work with us? scorecards, which are like all the KPR, KPIs that if suddenly one of these things changes, we will go off and find out why. That's very different than this idea of like, how do we make decisions, right? Which strategy is really just a kind of a way to make decisions that is in alignment with what is prioritized by the organization. And if you don't have leaders actually taking that step to set those things, people will be all over the map, right? Just because you, if you don't have a strategy, right, you actually do have a strategy. It's just like in every individual's head <laughs> and they're not in alignment in some way. And so that, that's why like OKRs I think are so valuable is because you are really writing down somewhere that people can reference and they can learn and they can start to actually um, be a broken record about, which I think is another really important aspect for product managers. We need to be the broken record for the strategy. And if we can't do that, if that if that's not set in some way, it ends up being on the onus of the, the product manager to figure out what is a strategy that will work. And you'll find then that for every team, you'll have a slightly different strategy and there's no, there's no alignment. And so that, that's why this idea of kind of early alignment to be able to create these types of decision-making models are really, really important. And OKRs are a methodology that allows you to kind of write them down in a way that makes sense, I think. And, and because it forces you to do things like the objectives needs to be aspirational, they need to be about people usually, they need to be an objective that is about an outcome or something, right? And then the KRs are how you measure that progress. I think really it helps build a really good way to do this, which I think is better than say smart goal setting or other types of goal systems that I've seen previously. Um, but it does take a lot of work, right? Like I've, I've written two additional posts just about like, the progression that people go through when trying to write objectives or key results, they uh, inev inevitably, they always start writing objectives as initiatives and key results as an initiatives, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of joke in the, the KR article uh, that, you know, the next article is going to be like how to write great initiatives. And I just got to say, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Because the truth is, is like, we don't care about initiatives when it comes to OKRs, right? That's up to the team to kind of cycle through those things and figure them out. It doesn't matter. Once you get into the OKR world, yeah. it's really the objective and the measurement of progress towards that objective that really matters. And I think that's what leaders really want is they want that objective. But when they get too involved in the setting of initiatives, they actually tie the hands of each team into being only as complex as that leader is. And I, I think that's a really big mistake when it comes to OKRs. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think um, Spotlight OM and not a floodlight, I think uh, I think stole that from, from their big giants, actually. <laughs> I think you're probably right. I think you're right. But yeah, I, and I've been, a, you know, um, definitely have been like a big fan of that podcast. And so I think this is, there's, there's all these kind of like this body of knowledge that we're building up right now about how to do better goal setting in general, right? And um, for a long time, strategy used to be this idea of how are you positioning yourself in the market from the standpoint of like Porter, um, you know, Porter's Five Forces, all these different things, even SWAT is about how are you positioning yourself mm -hmm. in your market? I think when we started getting into the world of product-led organizations, it ended up being more about like, how are we helping a customer or a person somewhere? And OKRs are really a great way to, I think, think about that because yes, in some cases, good strategy is about market positioning, but, but I would argue that a lot of the time, the biggest problem that a startup has or a small organization is actually just being noticed by the customer that they want to be noticed by. Mm -hmm. And so it's not so much like, how are we positioning against this company, this company? 
that is absolutely something that probably the, a person that's had a strategy at Google or Amazon has to think about. Um, but most of the time for people that are using OKRs, it's really, how do we just actually build something that is right for someone so they'll care, right? Yeah. And that's, that's actually super hard to do correctly. Mm-hmm. One thing that I just wanted to touch on in your experience as a product manager and, and head of product operations at the moment is how does this um, using OKRs as, as a network relate to product teams in your experience? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Facebook uh, Reality Labs, they used OKRs. And I think there were there were a lot of kind of anti-patterns that I saw around OKRs, like too many OKRs uh, yeah. was definitely something that we suffered from. Uh, too many KRs per OKR and then definitely mm-hmm. shipping initiatives as objectives and key results. Like I definitely have seen it. And then and then the I think the one that I, I dread the most is actually the kind of generic initiative OKR, which is engineering excellence mm-hmm. or something like that, yeah. which doesn't, which, which anyways. So I, I think there's a lot of like anti-patterns that I saw with my time at Facebook, but I would say that one of the things that Facebook did really well was this idea of how do you build dependencies between um, different groups? And so uh, as part of the goal setting activity and, and you know, uh, we would, we would do a lot of meetings across different teams where if there was something that was really important for my team that another team needed to support, we would figure out a way to create a, a dual set of OKRs that would be on both of our teams, right? Mm-hmm. And so that dependency creation, I think, is, is something that I think more people should be thinking about. That's actually the more important aspect of this, especially when it comes to building across uh, like very large initiatives that are super important to an organization that fit into these like central, you know, and I, I use the word central rather than top when it, because we're talking about networks now, but yeah. these like really central OKRs, that is where, yes, there may be an initiative that is a multi-quarter or a multi, you know, multi-half or multi-year type of initiative that, that needs to come to fruition to be able to meet these objectives. That's where the, the types of dependencies that we build between teams becomes even more important. Because if if one group is not doing what they need to do and other people are, are like dependent on that, but it's not actually written down somewhere, um, you end up missing a lot of these things. So I think that's that's one thing that I found a lot of. I, I'd also just argue that what I've seen in not only kind of the coaching that I do for people trying to adopt OKRs, but also for a few smaller organizations that I've worked in that have used OKRs, the, the idea of like trying to make the perfect set of OKRs is a real problem, right? Because the, the and this, there's a parallel to this in strategy, right? I, I wrote a post about... Uh, titled Your Strategy is Too Sacred. And what it really is trying to get at is um, when trying to write down strategic thought, a lot of the time people end up really wordsmithing it to death because they feel like if they don't get the words exactly right, it's like some type of magical incantation that if they don't get the words just exactly the way they should be, people will misunderstand it and they'll disagree or something like that. And so especially when strategy is done at a very centralized or top level of an organization, you'll find that um, people spend way too much time on just trying to create this perfect thing. And I, I see the same pattern happening in OKRs where people will spend weeks and weeks and weeks trying to set an OKR when the reality is like, you should just move forward, right? Mm-hmm. You should you should do a couple iterations. Yeah. You should listen, if you're getting a coach uh, or someone to help you with this, do a couple iterations of, of like uh, kind of feedback, try to write the better one, right? And, but there's a certain point that you just need to say, we're gonna just try these OKRs. And then that is where this idea of the cycle where you do the check-ins during the, the, the quarter, ideally you're using quarterly so that you're actually getting feedback in some timely manner. And then at the end of the quarter, that grading and then some type of retro to just understand like, 
did did we have the effect we thought we would have on these OKRs, right? Did we did we have the wrong KRs? Did we actually measure any of the KRs we said we would measure? Um, and if we didn't actually impact things, that's a real uh, kind of signal that we should either rethink, like, are these the right priorities, right? Or are we allowing the right teams to execute the right ways, right? There's, there's, there could be many different reasons why an OKR doesn't work out. And some of them could be the OKR itself, but a lot of the time mm-hmm. it's just that we either don't have the impact we think we do, or uh, we're going after the wrong thing, right? And so um, that, that's, I think, another huge thing that is really important is just to, just to move forward. If you are spending weeks and weeks or months and months setting an OKR for a quarter, you're mm-hmm. using OKRs wrong. Um, and and it's, it's not meant to be that, that kind of perfect in yeah. any no, and I think something that we we are big fans of at There Be Giants is is the um, notion of test, learn, and adapt. Um, and I think with OKRs, you probably won't get them right first time. Most likely, you won't get them right first time. And it's important to to make those iterations, and it's why you have the check ins. Um, and yeah, testing, learn, and adaption is is something that we're really big fans of. And I think it's it's something that you you have to be invested in when deciding to um to to set your okrs and just thinking back to um talking about how depend dependencies between teams becomes more important i'm just thinking about the the world that we're in at the moment in this hybrid um remote working situation that will most likely continue now as, as more and more people have, have um taken to working at home what impact do you think this has um on how you use okrs do you think that with more and more people working at home and, and not being in the office so so close to to their team but also to other departments um that it becomes a little bit easier um to i guess to um, or more important should i say to to actually use okrs as, as a network and be more cross-functional yeah the the fact that people are going to have different interactions with each other, right? Like this, the idea of synchronous versus asynchronous activities, we can do synchronous activities still, right? We can get on a video call. We can talk with each other. We can get feedback from our leadership team through different mechanisms. And, and some companies do a better job of this than others providing like a way to do feedback, right? Yeah. Which, which when we talk about, a, you know, OKRs are really a feedback mechanism. And it's, it's something that is ideally self-administered as well. Because if I understand what are the objectives and my measure of progress towards that, I can just look at the work I'm doing and seeing if it's having the impact that I want. And so I think it, it OKRs are one of those artifacts that help with asynchronous work more. Um, the part that gets tricky is that uh, there still is a value to the, you know, Von Tan in his book, The Uncertainty Mindset, has called this really open-ended style, which is, I've always been really concerned whenever I've, you know, I worked at a design agency for a little while and some of our customers would say, I'll just know it when I see it. <laughs> right. And, and that's always concerning whenever I hear that, because it means that like, there's no way that we're going to be under, be able to understand what this person wants. basically. Yeah. Um, now, when you see high performing organizations that build really innovative things though, they do build this kind of open-ended style that is a very tacit knowledge that is shared between everybody. And so I think this is this is where like OKRs can really help you because you start to build either terminology or language within your OKRs that references that open-ended style. Um, what can be tough though is if you're brand new to an organization, you may not, you'll, you'll be able to adapt the culture, right? And this is actually where there's some really interesting work uh, being done by like naturalistic decision-making and experience, like 
the idea of uh, expert knowledge um, and gaining that. Uh, there's this discussion about what are the different types of uh, tacit or expert knowledge you gain. And one is kind of a physical one, like being really good at like a tennis swing. Mm -hmm. A second one would be, um, you know, learning some type of skill that is both cognitive, uh, mostly cognitive. So like, how do I, how do I do road mapping could be one of, one of those skills that I gain mastery over. Right. Um, but then the last one is really cultural. And so the good thing is, is that human beings are really good at adopting to cultural norms because that is what we are machines for. We're here to try to fit into, uh, the in-group so that we can survive yeah. <laughs> within that tribe or something. Right. So I think there's something really interesting about that when you, when you use OKRs, it is another way to embody this open-ended style of the organization. There is a little bit of a translation step with the terminology you may use or the language you may use, but that idea that it's embodied somewhere um, is really, really important. Uh, and there's a great post that's, I think was originally referred to as uh, JPEG, your strategy, um, as in like the JPEG, like, uh, like image file format. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he ended up turning it into compress your strategy. And it's by uh, Eugene Wei, who used to be a strategist at uh, Amazon. And so one of the practices that they do at Amazon that I think is really interesting is they would have this kind of every year or two, they would have this huge presentation uh, where the leadership team would get up and talk for like an hour or two about a bunch of things that they think are going to be really important over the next year. But then what they would do is they would then assign kind of like a simple phrase to that strategy. And so you still needed to have this two-hour background to really the reason why we're doing all this, what's the market conditions that are saying this, what, you know, what do we believe about the world that really is valuable here? But once you start to encode this, uh, people could in a meeting, you know, like one of them, I think was like, get our house in order, which really pointed to all like kind of operational efficiency within the organization because they would had all these like disparate practices and processes mm -hmm. that needed to align in some way. And so you could be in a meeting and you could say basically like, let's get our house, in, like, is this getting our house in order? Could be a good question about whether we should do something or not. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think that's like a really amazing way to think about OKRs as well is this idea of a compression of a strategy that took a lot of time to get to, right. It took a lot of background to be able to understand. But once you start to have these things written down, people can start to use them as a way to just reference, right? And, you know, I, I'm definitely not an advocate that you should be changing your OKRs every quarter. I think that they should be modified or adapting over time. Mm -hmm. um, but when you start to really understand that, like, well, the top priority for the organization or for me um, is something that we can kind of use in shorthand. It's another reason why, like, personas tend to be so valuable is it's a shorthand for kind of a set of goals and problems and beliefs about a person, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's something really interesting about all of these different techniques that we use to really build shorthands within the organization. And I would argue the OKRs are a really valuable version of that, mm -hmm. especially when we start to have more hybrid work situations where people, you know, have to reference things. And, and you know, it, this, is, this is why most of the time really great, teams end up having kind of a spider web of references between documents mm -hmm. rather than there being one document that has absolutely everything that you need to know about something mm -hmm. there ends up being a strategy document an okr document a scorecard you know but then there's like individual features and then there's all these bugs that are referenced or items that are in like a jira or something like that and so you're building a web of kind of information that you need to um you know for new people need to adopt to and to figure things out but once they do it ends up becoming much more intuitive i think um, so, yeah, I, I think that's why it's going to be even more important when we talk about async working. Mm -hmm. And just um, touching on that point about having a web of information and, and documents, I just thought I'd mention um, tracking tools when it comes to, to tracking your, your OKRs. What are your sort of thoughts, experience on on um, 
OKR specific um, platforms and softwares for, for tracking your OKRs? Yeah, I think, um, you know, large organizations deal with the real issue of procurement. Uh, so like, you know, in the case of uh, Cognizant, it takes us a while to, to spin stuff up. So usually what I'll recommend when I'm doing coaching is to start with something like writing it down in a Word document or, you know, we, we end up using um, SharePoint as a center point for, for being transparent and publishing it. I think whatever you end up using, there's going to be pros and cons about a lot of tools, right? Like I've seen people implement them in Atlassian and Jira, right? And there's some weirdness that starts to come out of the fact that this is just like another task in your system or Epic or whatever you end up using it as. Yeah. Um, but I, I think like the really hard part for new teams, right, is, is not necessarily choosing a tool, but it's it's really learning how to write this type of stuff. And so for me, I tend to focus on like, what is the writing tool that you use? Let's start with that um, and, and keep it as simple as possible. But I think there is a value in, in you know, once you start to get into a real uh, kind of process around grading, once you start to uh, network all of these different things together, you need better visualizations to be able to really see things. Um, and so I, I've, I've also done things like there's a Miro template that I, I basically co-opted from someone else and gave them, gave, so gave them credit. I, I think it was mm-hmm. Nynek um, that did this where, you know, they, everybody tries to build things as hierarchies. And so I've started to build visualizations that are more like networks. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because when you do visualize things as like each OKR is a little box that you have to put somewhere, you'll see dysfunctions like, oh, there's way too many, too, this team has way too many OKRs because it's so huge. This node in the network is no longer like a functional thing. And yeah. you start to then when you build those types of visualizations for dependencies, um, it becomes really interesting to understand like what are people really dependent on. So I think Something I've seen in, in some tools has been a more of a network approach to the visualization, but I think there's still something that we need to learn or do as an industry to really better visualize these types of networks. Um, so that's that's kind of the tools that I end up using end up being, yeah, whatever your writing tool is, is the one that I'll start people with. And then from there, we start to look at like, what are some of the problems or dysfunctions, right? I, I think this is the the way that you should look at it. Almost every tool that you you choose to adopt is, if you're not retroing things on a regular basis to see what the problems are, you're never going to figure out a better way to do things. Um, and so that's the way, that's my approach basically for, for yeah. a lot of these tools. Yeah, that's that's a good way to look at it. I think that, like you said at the beginning, there's definitely pros and cons to to um, all these tools. And um, I think it's good to have a look um, as opposed to using like a spreadsheet, for example. Um, but there yeah. are definitely a lot out there. And it's just seeing what works for you and your, your organisation. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation and you've already given lots of um, good I guess, tips and advice and, and benefits of why you should be using um, OKRs as a network. I wondered if you could give a last tip or, or piece of advice to anyone starting out in their OKR journey um, they may be not sure um, how to make them fit across their organization or have gone wrong somewhere. Yeah, I, I would I would say that in the in the theme of networks, starting with a particular node and going from there is is one of those things that I've also seen work well, right? Like using an inward look within inside of a team to to use uh, OKRs as a starting point for strategy, um, I think is a really good way to go. And and the reason why I say that is that generally big bang transformation inside of organizations will usually fail. And the reason why is because organizations, because they're complex adaptive systems, um, they will do whatever they can to actually keep things the way that they are a lot of the time. Um, And so I've usually looked for motivated teams that really need to make a change in some way. 
right? And helping them adopt something like OKRs to be able to codify their strategy um, and get feedback from that strategy while they build things. Um, if they can do that inside of their team, I think that is way more effective than trying to like do a thousand person transformation, right? Like I'm actually in the throes of it right now. And, and uh, at Cognizant, you know, we're, we're trying to get a team of about 15,000 people to be covered by OKRs. And so, you know, that started about a month after I got here, I was told I needed to <laughs> build OKRs for 15,000 people. Um, but we're, we're learning for, you know, in our case, we're doing an approach that covers uh, communities and teams. And so in, the, in that particular case, being the best we can inside of just the product management community, for example, has been very valuable uh, rather than just saying like, hey, everybody has to do this, <laughs> right? Like that's that's the part that I think has been most valuable. And then working with each individual community to figure out like, what are the things that are really valuable for them in some way? You know? um, so we're still working through kind of how do we build those dependencies, but instead of kind of assuming that every single person within one quarter had to have an OKR set, um, that has actually freed us to be able to make progress where we can. So um, I think that's maybe related to that point that, that, that uh, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress when it comes to OKRs again. So getting started with one team and getting them to just try them and do them, I think is way more effective than trying to wait for an entire organization to do it. Yeah, thank you. And oh, wow, 15,000. That's no, <laughs> no mean feat. So good look, but no, it sounds like... Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you're on the way. So um, thank you, Chris, for joining me today for, for our podcast. And thank you to our Giant Talk listeners. If you'd like to get in touch or provide any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at growth at therebygiants.com. I'll also link to um, a couple of Chris's blogs that he mentioned in the podcast so i'll link those in the show notes for you thank you again for listening and join us again for another episode of giant talk